Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Actually, going to springboard off a message I did just a couple of, uh, I don't know if it was a week ago. Time is, time is uh, very difficult for me to grasp hold of these days. A week feels like a month, feels like a year. But it's, a, it's part two in a, service, a, a series that, I, that was started called Lip Service or Heart. And this part of Isaiah really gets to the heart of the matter in relation to there's the spiritual lip service that we can give the Lord and really the question to all of us. And I think it's a question that needs to perpetually be asked by ourselves. Are we getting caught in religion? Are we getting caught in Revelation Church at Ephesus? Are we becoming an Ephesus person? Doesn't just have to be a church that can fall into this. I think actually it's easier for us personally to fall into these mindsets than it is for even a church body to. It's easy for a church body to, don't get me wrong. But I think personally it happens in ourselves long before it affects church bodies. So really the question is, lip service or heart, where is it tonight? Are you falling into those, honestly it's like a, you think about God through salvation, you can imagine a putty I always talk about it having a hole in a, in, a, in a board and it's all made out of like clay and God pulls us out of the bottom of the, the mire we're in and he takes us up top and he imprints us in that solid foundation and the enemy is always trying to get us loosened up from that foundation to try to roll down and through our compromise and attitudes and actions and the deliberate, are you ready? The deliberate rejection of putting on the full armor of God. Well, I wouldn't do that. Well, if you're not in God's word, you're involved in that right now. So I don't think there's anybody at Longview Baptist Church that doesn't read their Bible. So thankfully, I'm not preaching to anybody in this room tonight or even on a Sunday morning. For the most part, maybe a visitor might not be in the Bible, but I would assure you that anybody who's been in here, either you have grown hardened of heart, because I don't think you could hear me week in and week out hammer the need to read God's word and be able to sit in here with a clear conscience without hardening your heart, because you would recognize the direct implications of not reading God's word. <clears throat> now, you also question God's, you know, God doesn't lead me. Really? God, oh, God isn't direct. I don't know what God wants for me. You're not in his word, and you're not spending time in true prayer led by the Holy Spirit of God. Because I can assure you, even if you are right now unsure of where God has you, you will know God has me in a holding pattern right now, and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has something right now that he is waiting to lead me to, but I am in his word, I'm seeking his face, and right now it is a period of be still and know that I am God. God will not fail to answer prayer and consistent fellowshipping with him and delighting yourself in his presence. He will not fail to answer us. He will not. Because if he does not answer us, he is not God. And God is not a God of confusion. And what would it do to a believer that was in God's word, that was completely in prayer, if God did not give them their overwhelming peace that passes all understanding in that holding pattern or in that place of rest, is God going to leave you at a place of fear and uncertainty? No. 
Because the uncertainty might come in the human sense of, God, why haven't you answered yet? But if you are in any way, I'm not even talking about a seasoned Christian, one who's just been around a short period of time, you realize that God's timing is not our timing. His ways aren't our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. And actually, what I've noticed, the longer that God takes to answer prayer, the bigger work that God has in store and the bigger way with which God is going to answer those prayers to bring greater glory and honor to his name. You don't realize how important really this right here, the heart and lip service is in people seeing things in your life. You don't realize the magnitude. I got a card this week from somebody who I have consistently been doing a behavior and, and, and it's, it's for the kingdom. I, I live, when, when I come in here and you see the joy and you see Brother Jonathan's always happy. He has to do that because he's the preacher. I don't have to be happy if I didn't want to. I could come in here and be just as sour as I ever wanted to be. But I realize that the joy of the Lord is my strength and therefore delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desire of your heart. You rejoice in the things of the Lord and he'll give you a greater rejoicing in the things of him. And does it mean that all the time I feel wonderful and great? No, I'm hurting like the devil today. Bad. My knee's killing me, my back's killing me, but guess what? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And I know that the victory in my life is not going to come from me binding myself in defeat. I'll share what's going on with me if you want an update on it when people ask me, but I'm not going to delight in that. That's not what me. The, the limitations of the human condition don't define me, and it is especially difficult tomorrow morning. I will tell you, it's easier for me on Sunday because I rest on Saturdays a lot of the afternoon and I'm able to get my body where when I get up, it's like me with my back pain from day one. The moment I get up and I stay up, it does this and it slowly goes higher and higher and that's why I look cherry red on Sunday nights because my body is having a hard time. I keep pain here all the time with my back and my, my human conditions here. The longer I'm up, these two woefully become... It, 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 ready for this? The... The manifestation of that, the greater degree, happens about 5 o'clock on Monday night because no longer can I hold back the immense pain I'm in. Therefore, where's my conundrum? My conundrum's when as I walk in tomorrow at 6.45, I'm on cloud nine. I'm excited. Why am I excited? Because I know that those patients need me to be excited for them. They need to see the joy of the Lord that is my strength. They need to see an unceasing, no matter what's put on me, a rejoicing because not only I'd never went in there and told the world that I was a preacher that has made its way around that place not just because of that though because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ I have an obligation to reflect the glory of God in there no matter what I feel like and no matter what I'm faced with and it's very very important I'm very thankful this week because I got a card in the mail this week of someone sharing how much an encouragement that it had been to the residents but also the staff and the difference that it's made in people's lives. Now think about this. Imagine had I allowed last Tuesday night when I got very frustrated because someone directly defied what I told them to do, they injured themselves because they didn't listen to me and it cost me a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of heartache. You imagine how easily I could have destroyed my testimony and I would have never gotten that card this week because the administration would have heard about what that preacher did. You see how easy it is to destroy a testimony? The building part isn't easy, church. It is steadfast. You think I like to leave my house 15 minutes earlier than I have to every day to be there 15 minutes early? No. 
Why do I do that? Because if I run into an accident or I get something delays me or somebody needs to be helped on the side of the road, I want to have time for that because I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful to this ministry that God has put me in. And that's the reason on Sunday mornings, your preacher's here sometimes before 8 o'clock in the morning. I don't have to be here then. I do that because it's important. It's important to get to heart. It's important to get the head and everything. I don't want the enemy to have any ability to put me in a mind where I have to do lip service on Sunday in the presence of the Lord and shepherding the flock that God's blessed me with. But these are distinct choices we have to make, especially when circumstances are not optimal. The first month and a half that I was there, I was in a thing I had to get down on my knees all day. Hence, problem with my knee, direct, a direct correlation between that. It was very, very hard for me, but I knew I'd given them an ultimatum and I said, if you guys don't get this replaced, I'm not gonna be able to keep coming to work. They ended up replacing it, took a little bit longer, but there's a lot of reasons throughout that whole period that I could have gotten unfriendly, unkind, and testimony robbing in my attitude and actions. And that's why I think it's just a good thing to share with all of you because you guys face things just like I do. You, you just happen to be one more day at your work. I condense it all into two days. The normal person works 40 hours. I do over half of that in two days. So you're over there the extra day if you work 40 plus hours. You're there that extra day of the week and you might have to split those up in five, eight hour days. Kind of doing the same thing, I'm just condensing it into two. So we all face those same things and I want you to realize I face those same things you do. I face people that are less than optimal and sometimes people that are downright selfish a majority of the time. They're not thinking about my time when they ask me to get them a glass of water or ice. It's not my job. But you imagine with 25 patients, what happens when each person asks you to pop popcorn that takes almost three and a half to four minutes just cooking it, then carrying it back to the room, multiply that by 20 people, how much time's lost in your day? There's a lot of things that I could get upset about, get wound up about, mad about, but that's not gonna do anything then take away from what my primary objective is. And what is my primary objective? For the world to see Jesus lived out in my life. And the choice we have to make right now is, am I gonna be a person that lip services my salvation? I'm gonna live at times a completely polar opposite thing, but then I'll just pretend that I didn't do that and I'll go back in and just keep preaching Jesus. Well, that's not gonna work because if you actually do mistake and you're going to make a mistake, it's just a matter of time. What do you do then? You repent, you take back captive that territory to anybody who may have seen it or are affected by it, and you say, this is not me, and I am very sorry, and I don't have any excuse for my, no, well, the boss hadn't done that, I, no, stop it, because you remove any ability for you to have a genuine apology for your actions. You remove any of the reasons that you might have done it, and you tell them, I need your forgiveness because I was acting in a way that as a follower of Jesus Christ is the polar opposite of everything that I am and I need your forgiveness. You know what that'll do? That'll restore your testimony, but what it'll do also is allow people to see a, probably a side of Christianity that they may have never seen in their lives. They're gonna see, not lip service, they're gonna see a heart that is rent to the things of the Lord, meaning broken to the things of the Lord. They're gonna see a person that is a man after God's or a woman after God's own heart that desires not just to talk, a good talk, because talk is nothing. It's cheap, 
it goes away because you'll never believe the amount of times in a day when somebody will come up to me and, and they'll say something Christian or this, that, and the other. And the next thing you know, I'm working on meds and doing what I'm doing, and I hear them going on about something with somebody else. As a matter of fact, one did that one day, came back down the hall, and I said, hey, I was church yesterday. Oh, I didn't make it. And I said, it sure sounded like you didn't either. And I said, remember, man, you were talking to church about me and how much you love the Lord five minutes ago, and your language down there, that is not the mouth and the mind of someone that claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm not here to be your dad, you're much my senior, but I love you enough to say, when you're inviting people to your church or whatever you're doing, and you talk like that, you remove every ability to have any power in the words and any compassion or any likeness to Christ by destroying your testimony. And there's a lot of these young people that are looking to you as they look to me. You can say those things, it's not being judgmental, that's not being unkind, that's not being unloving. What you're doing is you're loving them enough to have a conversation that could help them not do more damage to the kingdom than they ever dreamed of doing in anything else that they're doing. But as Isaiah chapter 29, again, we'll look at verses 15 and 16. If you're able physically tonight, let's stand out of reverence for the reading of God's word. Woe to those who go to great lengths to hide their plans from the Lord. They do their works in the dark and say, who sees us? Who knows us? You have turned things around as if the potter were the same as the clay. How can what is made say about its maker, he didn't make me? How can what is formed say about the one who formed it? He doesn't understand what he's doing. Father, thank you tonight, Lord, for your word. God, thank you, Lord, that your word stands the test of time, that you are ever faithful. Lord, I pray, Father, tonight that the words of our mouths, meditations of our heart would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight of strength, Lord, and our Redeemer. God, hide me behind the cross, Lord, so that you may move in hearts as only you can. You are God, you are King, you are Lord. We commit all this to you and we ask it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So the first half of 15 again, woe to those who go to great lengths to hide their plans from the Lord. We'll stop there. Whoop. You ever thought about that? Did anybody happen to catch um, the prosecution of a pastor this past week for a crime that occurred like 30 or 40 years ago? It was a pastor whose fellow pastor friend's daughter was coming to a camp that they were having. And because too many young ones in here to say anything, all that happened, but long story short, um, he took her life and then he buried her. And nobody knew it for all these years. They happened to find some material that they had not genetically tested. And this week he was faced with that and um, arrested for it. But he went to great lengths to hide this. I can't, this, the, the ability to even process not only how you could do it to a fellow human being, but then to do this to your friend's daughter. You just, I, I, don't, I don't understand, church, and I pray I don't ever understand, and I pray by God's grace that I could not fall to a place where I could likewise do something like that. And I know, by the way, don't ever think that it could not happen to any one of us. Amen? Take heed when you think you stand lest you fall. There is nothing that any one of us are not capable of. And I pray that God's restraining grace would continue to restrain 
what us unrestrained are capable of, all of us, at any age. But as I saw that, I thought about the years of, you know, here is a man who's not a pastor in another circumstance in, if I remember correctly, it was South New Mexico or Arizona, uh, 35, 40 years ago, or no, it was actually less, I think it was like 25 or 28 years ago, um, this man was renting from another man, and he got angry one day, and he killed him, and he buried him in the backyard. And I don't know how he wasn't caught, but he wasn't caught for all these years. Are you ready how he got caught? He got caught because he was so overwhelmed with guilt that he went and confessed it because he said, I could no longer live with this guilt for what I'd done. Praise God. And I say that to that, praise God. The other man was hurling expletives when they came to question him about what he had done. Two hearts. This other guy wasn't a preacher. And I saw a heart. I don't even know this man, but I would most assuredly pretty much guarantee that he's probably a believer. Because the lost world's not going to agonize in guilt to that level, right? Follower of Christ will. But a person that is unregenerate is going to in no way feel any. As a matter of fact, if anything, they blame, in many cases, their victims. Well, if they hadn't done this, I wouldn't have done that. But church, first thing I want to share with you tonight is this. Nothing can be hidden from God. We go back to the most infantile, right, uh, of, of biblical truths tonight. Nothing. There's nothing. This, the scripture actually talks about what's going to happen one day. Everything's going to be laid bare. Even the intentions of good acts. Ever thought of that one? The intentions of the good acts with which have been done. You ever thought about that? I wonder how many wonderful acts of service to the kingdom when the ultimate intentions laid bare will be nothing but dust in the wind. Because the intentions were not to bring honor and glory. So many times those hidden agendas that someone has with the actions that they do, that we can't see it on the surface of it. We can't see the motives, and we think that these are wholesome motives, but see, God knows. And that's why I think it's so important to be honest, even in your own life. You know, I always, uh, I've shared this, and people, you know, Pastor, how could you ever say that? If somebody wants to give to the Lord begrudgingly, keep it. Keep it. You know, people are like, oh, say that, goodness gracious, we want to give no matter what happens. No, I want somebody blessed. Amen? I want someone to experience the blessing of God, and what God can do is bring the heart, because if someone's begrudgingly giving, there's an issue that is a definite issue, which is going to do nothing more than embitter them further to the Lord, the Lord's work, and end up with those statements that people have. I've met the preachers running off with all the money. You've heard those statements before. Uh, You'd find out long, you, Brother Jonathan, don't have anything to do with the money here. I don't count it. I don't have a checkbook. This is from day one when they had me in the pulpit committee. I said I will have nothing to do with it. Most important thing in the world is a pastor needs to be separated from that. I've been at churches before where the preacher kept the church checkbook in his back pocket. Very unwise. Not a good system. Because guess what? First thing somebody says is, I bet he's out there buying everything for his house with the church checkbook. You know, and what it does is opens up church to rightfully deserved criticism. You understand why I say that? I say that because we're supposed to be above reproach. 
We also have to be careful because money and love of money, money's nothing wrong inherently with, but love of money, and I don't care who you are, any one of us can fall victim to that. We've got to keep ourselves head high. We've got to keep ourselves remembering church at Ephesus were doing really, really good things. They were doing wonderful things. They were doing everything they were supposed to do. There was only one issue. It was not being compelled out of a heart that loved the Lord their God with all their heart, their soul, their mind, their body, and their strength. That was the issue. And without us doing the acts of service from a heart that is doing it out of an overwhelming, overflowing love for the Lord, what is it? Nothing more than works, church. We have been freed from the law, haven't we? We've been saved by grace and through faith, not of works. So works that are not compelled by a love for the Lord and a salvation experience in Jesus Christ are nothing to waste. So that's why it's important even for us, all of us, seasoned Christians, I don't care how long it is, step back on the motives and you're giving. Are you doing it like I mentioned this morning? Like those little ones that just, you, they get bent out of shape if the offering plate passes them. I watched one of them this morning run after the plate because the plate was later than they, I mean, just with absolute innocent excitement. Not waiting for the world, you know, look what I did. No, it's like they honestly see the heart and the spirit and God saying to us, watch that. That's what your heart should be doing that. Does anybody else see it from that perspective? It's interesting, isn't it? It's as if the experience with Jesus and those little ones when the, when the disciples are going, come on, get out of here. He's got, got time for you. Jesus said, well, get out of here. What's wrong with you guys? Suffer little children to come unto me for the kingdom belongs to such as these. God saw the genuine heart in them which dispels all the foolishness that us as adults, right? Anybody ever seen, and this is, I, I remember watching this as a child. I don't watch the offering plate here being passed, so I don't do that. But when I was a kid, I remember watching something. I remember when somebody had a $20 bill, I will never forget this. Those were always laid out flat. A $100 bill, $50 bill, even $10 bills, but they were always laid out long and flat. You know what I also remember? I remember seeing wads of one rolled up where it looked like you were losing illicit substances, but they were wound up so small and they would go like that and then just drop it in the plate. And I never understood it as a child. I was like, I wonder why that's weird. They put the ones that have the two and the zero, and the, I didn't remember back then, I didn't even know what it was at that point. But I remember seeing, because I remember the artwork on them, because the bigger the bill was, the prettier, in my opinion, the artwork was on there. Is anybody else that way thinking? Yeah. Uh, some of us are weird. But I remember those ones, they were always very, very, very small. I don't know, you can read the motives in that, I don't. But looking at it now as an adult, it really appeared as though there was a show with higher denomination bills, as opposed, also sometimes you'd see people with checks, most often would fold those up, sometimes three, and place them in there. They didn't want their left to know what they're right. It's not about people seeing what I'm doing. We've got to watch the motives of our heart, even as seasoned Christian. It's very easy for all of us to fall victim to lip service and to fall into spiritual times of struggle. And we've got to be perpetually in God's presence. Lord, ready? God, reveal the motives of my heart. God, reveal the motives of my heart. Interesting thing, right? So when you're making $20,000 a year, your tithe, 
right? Spiritually speaking, $2,000 over the course of a year, right? 52 weeks, bring that down. Carol, what is that real quick? You know. 2,000 divided by 52. Anybody know quick? Andrew? There's there nobody that knows 2,000 divided by 52? Oh, boy. I was not prepared for this. Hang on. $38.46. So, I've watched people in my lifetime that can drop $38.46 in the plate like it's, abs I mean, literally with an absolute heart of worship. I've also seen people with $100,000 incomes because if you make roughly $100,000 a year, you're going to be home, what, roughly $2,000 a week. Well, you're dropping then $200 a week. Isn't it interesting that $38, for whatever reason, goes in an offering plate a whole lot easier for people than $200? What do we get to? We get to, God, I don't care if you give me a million dollars. I'll drop $5,000 a week in there if that's what it is because, God, you gave it to me, and, Lord, I could not give you. I cannot outgive you. See, that enemy wants us to worship money. He wants us to serve money. He doesn't want us with a heart that is rent steadfast in the presence of God. He wants us with that heart of, well, is this before or after tax? Let's think about this. God, let's see. Um, now listen, I'll just, uh, well, wait a minute, Lord. I, oh, wait, I, I paid for, a, oh, let me, um, I'll, wait, oh, I forgot about my, so you know what we've done? We've done what the Real rich are able to do with their taxes, and we're trying to do it to the Lord. But where does it go to? It goes to a heart, ultimately, that we can watch easily creep in, even in godly Christians, of greed. Greed's easy to get involved in, isn't it? It invites itself. It sets the table. It welcomes us to the table. Come. Come on. Do lip service. I'll justify the reason that look at all the trouble you're having. Do you think God would want you right now to hold back from your family in this time of difficulty? That's what the enemy does. He does exactly what we talked about this morning because he's the author of lies. And he wants that incremental compromise to come in there. He wants to destroy our testimony. He wants to destroy our financial life. He wants to destroy everything about us so that we are nothing more than a mockery to the kingdom of heaven, doing more destruction for the kingdom than anything else or one could dream of doing. But we do it very effectively because we're being spiritual in that. See, nothing can be hidden from God, church. It's better to get honest in the presence of God. It's better not to sit back and fall victim to this. And when you catch yourself doing it, the, I want to encourage you to do something. Get on your face before God and repent. Repent anytime you catch yourself remotely even heading down that path where you begin to justify and say, well, God, you understand. And Lord, wait till I get some things caught up and then I'll start being faithful. By the way, it'll never happen if you ever try that. And then uh, verse 15, the second part of 15, here we are. They do their works in the dark. And say, who sees us? Who knows us? Second thing I want to share with you tonight is this. The deeds of darkness are products stemming from heart issues. Now, we can go in any sense when we talk about deeds of darkness. We talked about the one earlier I shared with you about the man that killed his friend's daughter. The deeds of darkness go much deeper than that. I know spirits of control in churches, and I am 
I thank God that we have not had that spirit of control in this church, church, because I assure you, you would have lost me as your pastor years ago. I've been in churches where churches are strangleholded by, in some cases, a family or a couple of close families. Uh, I, I hear so many stories and I've seen so many situations where it is just wicked and ungodly strangleholds that people have on a church. They talk about pastors. Well, they'll usher the pastor in and six months later, they're ushering him right out. Why? Because he didn't do what we wanted him to. He didn't preach what we wanted him to. X, this, that, and the other, and they just goes on with this stuff. And it's so sad because of the fact that the victim in this, not only the pastor and his family, but also the cause of Christ. Because imagine if you're dealing with a church that is in such a mess and they can't keep a pastor, what is that indicative of? Is that indicative of people who love the Lord their God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength? Now, there's some bad preachers out there, I'll admit that. And I'm not even talking about in the character of what they're teaching and preaching. I'm talking about even in themselves. There's a lot of uncalled pastors, quote-unquote, out there today that during times of recession and things end up in the ministry, and it is a nightmare, and I've heard horror stories about it. I'm talking about those churches where you can have some solid, steadfast, sold-out people that come in there, and they run them right outside the back door eight or ten months later because... They are steadfast in preaching God's word, the truth of God's word. And there's, a, there's this little three-letter word today that a lot of places don't want to hear about. They want to hear about the parables, and the, they want to hear about the blessings, and they want to hear about all this. But that little three-letter word starts with S, ends in N. I only give you three guesses to know what that middle initial is. I, sin. People don't want to hear it. And I think it boils back down to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. There will come a time when men will not stand for sound doctrinal teaching. They will gather around them many teachers to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. I had somebody say to me one time, I'll never forget this. Brother Jonathan, the way you preach don't fill churches up. I said, I don't care. I said, I care about having him one day when I stand in his presence, steadfastly having served, honored, glorified, and stood firm for the gospel truth. I said, I know. I could preach all through the Gospels. I had a pastor friend that finally one day said, I'm done. He said, I'm not preaching anything but Gospel stuff. He said, I'm done. He said, I've fought, I'm tired, and I'm done. And I said, so what you decided to do, man, just quit preaching the truth? Because the truth calls man to account. And all throughout the Scripture, there's some wonderful, encouraging stuff, but you know, honestly, three times out of ten, no, I'm sorry, six out of ten times, it's scorching us to the bone. It's calling us to account. The first instance that Jesus dealt with every person, what was the first thing that Jesus dealt with? Sin. That was the root issue for the majority of what was being dealt with. And I know things haven't changed, so what do you believe the root issue of our culture is right now? It's sin. So what kind of pastor, shepherd, would release his sheep to the slaughter because the sheep decided they didn't like the food he was feeding them. What kind of man, after God's own heart, would you be? You would not be. The thing about it is, church, the deeds of darkness are products stemming from heart issues, and that's what the gospel ultimately is the microscope to. It's the issues of the heart. The issues of the heart are the issues of eternity because the issues of the heart stem from Mankind is born a sinner in need of a Savior, separated from a holy and a righteous God. 
And there is only one path with which restoration with the Father can occur, and it's through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the propitiation, the payment of sin, the atonement, the work, the finished work of salvation being applied to our account that can only happen when the Holy Spirit of God has given you the understanding that you are a sinner and help you see your sinful reality apart from him. No salvation can occur until that happens. That's kind of a scary thought, isn't it? Well, you mean if the preacher starts preaching and somebody doesn't recognize, but they hear that they're a sinner in need of a Savior, they can't respond? Absolutely right, they cannot. The Bible says explicitly, no one comes to the Father unless the Holy Spirit enables him, and some version says draws him. Until we understand we're a sinner in need of a Savior, what can we be saved from? Think about it. What can we be saved from? What can a person that's in the ocean, that you fly out with a helicopter, you see them in a rip current, and you went out there and you have proclaimed to them, you are going to die if you don't take this life ring. Who in the world can make them grab that ring? Nobody. Do you realize salvation is the same way? How many times have you said to me, Brother Jonathan, I've, I can't understand it. I've shared with them. I've told them. I've told them that they're going to die and they're going to spend an eternity separated from God and they laugh at me. They mock me. They tell me they don't want anything to do with it. They don't want anything to do with spiritual things. They don't want anything to do with God. Well, who has to do the initial groundwork? Spirit of God. Hence, what we're doing during invitation time. We're inviting the Spirit of God on behalf of these people we love to allow divine encounters to happen. So as the Spirit of God gives the understanding, because what does Scripture say? We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are spiritually dead. So what do spiritual concepts mean to spiritually dead people? They don't mean much, do they? So that's why we can talk till we're blue in the face to that person that's lost, and they look at us like a deer in the headlights, like we've lost our minds, that's why I think as I talk to you about sharing the gospel and evangelism, it is very important if you go out and evangelize, and I don't care if it's just going out tomorrow and meeting somebody at the little convenience store and you share with them how much Jesus loves you. If you've not prayed about the divine encounters that you're going to have that day, you are unprepared. You are unprepared. So when you get in your word in the morning and you start praying, you do what I say, God, I don't know who you have for me to share with today. I don't know what form that's going to take, but I know you do. And you're inviting me, as our experiencing God says, to a divine encounter of your choosing. God, give me the spiritual ears, the eyes, the, the everything, and the understanding that when I am approached by this and when I'm confronted with this, I know exactly what's going on, Lord, and you put the words in my mouth, but you prepare them now for what you need me to be for them. See, that's what happens when we are invited to his work, not me inviting myself to have God join me for the work that I'm in. See, it's all about him. He's the catalyst for every one of these divine encounters. 
He's the catalyst for every one of these prayers right here. It has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with us saying the right word and, and something's going to ring a bell. It's going to spark. No, it has to do with God breaking their heart. What breaks him? His heart. And what is that? People recognizing that they're broken, that they're lost, and his desires to bring them to salvation. See, God can divinely orchestrate those meetings the same way that Jesus divinely orchestrated each one of those earth pictures of his ministry when he went to the most reprobate and the broken of the broken to show us, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And brothers and sisters, the deeds of darkness, those products that stem from heart issues, we have to recognize that's our mission field. That is our mission field, and that's the reason in the second half of 15 right there, woe to those who go to great lengths to hide their plans from the Lord. They do their works in the dark and say, who sees us, who knows us? That's the deeds of darkness. That is the deeds of the enemy. That is the deeds, not of light. That is the polar opposite thing. And then verse 16, you've turned things around as if the potter were the same as the clay. How can what is made say about its maker, he didn't make me. How can what his form say about the one who formed it? He doesn't understand what he's doing. Third and final thing tonight I want to share is this. We are God's creation, whether mankind wants to admit it or not, period. Don't sit around and argue with somebody who says that they came from the slime. They evolved out over 100 billion years or million trillion. All. That's okay. Listen, you know the truth of what God, God is the ex nihilo. Hey, he is everything. Everything came. He is the uncaused cause. Doesn't make sense to me, church. It's just in, there's, there's, there's no argument to be had there. You know what the great part is? God, the heavens declare the glory of the earth, the work of your hands. I cannot begin to comprehend your creative genius. I can't. I can't even fathom the flagellum and fully how those function inside the human body. I still can't fully comprehend how the eyeball is able to do what it does and process all of that after turning it around, going inside your mind, going in there, processing it, and your entire body responding to it. It blows my mind how complex this creation is. It just, it does. I had a friend of mine that had terminal stage four liver cancer just, uh, I guess now 20, 15 years ago, 20, uh, almost 20 years ago. He's still as healthy as can be today. He went to a doctor at Vanderbilt that said, I think I can fix it. He went in there and cut more than any other person had cut out of a liver. He left the only little piece of liver that was left out of all of that liver he had. Gave him chemo, about killed him for either uh, 10, 15, whatever, 20 weeks. Out there mowing his grass with this thing, thought he was going to die because he said it was so toxic and so terrible. And guess what? This day, the guy's just as healthy as you and I are. 15 years later, this is what I know. God's made these bodies of ours incredible. And God's a, a prayer answering God. And God's a faithful God. Now, does God do that every time? Absolutely not. What happens in many cases with divine healing? See, we'll think, well, God didn't answer. They died. Oh, the problem is he answered most beautifully. Because I promise you, if God's going to take me home and you pray me here, you just wait because I'm fixing to nail you to the wall. Amen? Because my desires depart one day. And when it's time for this body to go, don't be praying me here. I'm ready to go. I want to go be with my Lord, my Savior, and my King. This is not home to me. It might be to you, and you might be dying to live. Does that mean I have a fatalistic desire 
to die tomorrow. No, I want to go when God's ready for me and when my work is done. Those of you who are dying to live, you can have it. I am living to die because my desire is to open my eyes to the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem. And I know that what I'm going to experience in the first instantaneous second, my eyes behold his glory. All of this, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. And see, if you think about the words of that hymn, those words are singing what I just shared with you. The greater desire you have to dwell with the king in your personal prayer and your time in his word, the greater desire you're going to be to be in his presence and worship him in true body, soul, spirit, and everything as he intended us to be. And your desire as you delight yourself in him is going to be to begin to experience more of him. And the more you experience of him, the greater your desire becomes to dwell with him. Not only in the human side of spending time with him and every moment you have in free time, you find yourself talking to dad because dad has become your all-sufficiency. And you end up literally talking to dad continually and you begin one day to wake up and go, the Bible says to pray without ceasing, that's become my life. And I didn't even purpose to do that, it just happened. It was a byproduct because I've become so in love with my father that I can't help but dwell consistently and persistently with him. And the more I read, the more I want to read. And the more I'm in prayer, the more I want to do it. And I don't want to be unfaithful to my earthly call, but God, I just want so much of you, I can't find myself getting enough of you. And then what you find yourself doing is longing for home. You know, everybody listen to Johnny Erickson Tata, Johnny and Friends. You heard, you heard Johnny talk quite often about that. Thinking about heaven, thinking about home, thinking about when her body's going to be restored. And Johnny is no spring chicken. Johnny's been in a wheelchair since 1970, what? 78-ish, six, five, four, it's a long time. She's been in the wheelchair, I think, 50, possibly over 50 years now. If you listen to Johnny, she's, since I was a little child, has always talked about what it's going to be like one day in heaven when her body's restored. Is that not the heart of a disciple? The heart of a disciple is to finish the master's work, the discipler's work, the God that disciples us, and finish that work faithfully, crossing that finish line, not is that tonight, the title of the message, again, lip service, or is it your heart? Tonight, where is your heart? If you've fallen and found yourself in a place of apathy, I can assure you right now, you might be in a rut. I know. Pastors can get in spiritual ruts just like anybody else, so that's why I'm continually reminding you that we've got to be very, very careful and we need to look out for that all the time because the enemy wants us to focus on the external, the external circumstances. What's going on in my life right now? Well, I got this messed up. I got that and he and she and they and it. And I mean, look at all these things right now, Lord, not focused on, look at all this that God has given you and look what he's blessed you with. Look at this church body that loves you and it's gonna love you when you're at your bottom and they're gonna love you when you're at your top. They're not gonna matter. Oh, no, Lord, we don't worry about that right now. I'm just worried about X, Y, Z, A, B, and C. 
Well, not only is that sinful, but what we're doing is we can ultimately curse our blessings because what we're doing is we are saying, God, if only my circumstances were optimal, I would do 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, and all things give thanks for this is God's will in Christ Jesus concerning you, but because they're not, I'm gonna curse my blessings, Lord, and until you get things straightened up, I'm gonna be just plain foul. Well, it's not gonna work good, church. Are you lip service or you have a heart? Maybe your heart needs to be taken captive back to the kingdom tonight. Maybe you need to lay in that bed tonight as you sit there on these Sundays that always compel you to lay there in the stillness of the night and say, God, I found myself at a place of lip service. I found myself at a place of Ephesians, or sorry, Revelation chapter two, church at Ephesus. And God, I realize that I need my heart to be broken for what breaks yours because right now I'm so far out of the call of a disciple. Lord, I've let all these other things creep in and this incremental compromise has now led me to where the joy of my salvation has been robbed of me like Psalm chapter 51 David refers to. David was referring to the sin with Bathsheba after Nathan had come to him and Psalm 51 is where the restoration of the joy was able to begin because it was found in the repentance that had to happen because David had violated God's word, God's command, and the blessing that God had given him. And tonight, if we are at a place where we are doing lip service instead of a heart that's rent for the kingdom, we are at the same place David does. Your sin might not be as egregious or publicly unacceptable as his was, but brothers and sisters, sin does the same exact thing. It separates us from fellowship with God. And I pray as you lay there tonight, if there's anything in your life that needs to be dealt with, that you would lay that in the presence of the Lord in repentance and cry out to him. And what you will find tomorrow is you will wake up with a refreshing feeling like that spring rain does on those hot nights, maybe like last night on a hot summer's night or those beautiful, refreshing spring rains that make everything new again. And that's what forgiveness does. It restores our fellowship with the Father, and that's what God's desire for us all is tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart, and today you would like to make him not only the Savior, but the Lord of your life, first, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a savior and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life and died on the cross to pay for your sin. Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you and you wanna live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be, and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.